Welcome to Behind the Law with Dennis Vetrano, where you'll receive the support, the motivation, and the inspiration to be your best self each and every day. And now, here's your host, Dennis Vetrano. Hello, welcome to Behind the Law, the podcast, episode number five. I'm your host, Dennis Vetrano, and we have Charlotte Guernsey here with us again today talking about how to become, how to make yourself a self-made millionaire. Hello, Charlotte. How are you? Hey, doing well. You want to remind everybody quickly what you do? Sure. I've been a real estate agent and broker for the last 20 years. I own my own real estate company, and I also um, have background in painting and have another business, a wedding venue and bridal boutique. Okay. Okay. Excellent. So last time we got into some of the you know introductory things you can do to become a self-made millionaire, and I think um, at its core... I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, it's really just a, a shift in the way you think. Um, you know, how do you need to change the way you think to really amass wealth and become a self-made millionaire? Well, I think the summary of our last podcast was the goal is to try to get your passive income to support your lifestyle. That's your ultimate goal. Right. So it's so the question is, okay, how do you get there? If you're just starting out with nothing, how do you, how do you end up there? Right. And we we're also talking about essentially looking at yourself as a business. Look, money in, money out. And I think part of that is, you know, look, if you can have some of the things you own paying for themselves, that does two things. You got money coming in, money going out, right. but you're keeping the money you have to put out of your pocket every month down. So, um, you know, there's a lot of different ways to do that, but I think one of the things people are always asking me, uh, and actually a number of different questions, really center around debt, okay? Um, So let's talk about a little bit, if you would, what's the difference between good debt and bad debt? Well, one of my favorite areas to build wealth is real estate. So good debt would be considered your real estate mortgage. So especially if you're and I mentioned this again before, if your first purchase is a multifamily, then you have tenants paying your good debt. So right. they're paying Being your the bills. Yep. Bad debt would be considered um, credit cards, especially if it's stuff that's not purchases that aren't going towards um, improvements to your properties or right. something that's going to create more money for you. What if it's just random stuff doodads doodads that you don't really <laughs> right. need and it adds up and you're paying now you're paying interest on on those doodads which are depreciating in value that would be considered bad debt your car in my opinion is right. bad debt um i mean i'm in real estate so my car is also in my office but the way i have it you know it's a business so it's leased through my business right. so i try to have as many things legally that can be run through the business now, here's the thing. I'm glad that you brought that up. And I think the shift in the way of thinking is you have to look at what you purchase, what you spend money on. You have to look at it like each and every one of these things. How much money do they make me? Do they help me make money? So, for example, in real estate, your car is going to help you make money. Okay? And if you invest in a rental property, you're paying the mortgage but that's getting you renters. That's helping you right. make money. But I think the biggest thing, if you're going from nothing and you want to end up with something, 
I, I find from my clients, the biggest hurdle from them is wanting to make that sacrifice. Um, they want to play house. They don't want to have tenants. So right. you have to be willing to, to do that. And right. you have to be, even if you get a rental property, maybe you take the smaller unit and you rent out the other one. And you have to look at it as a stepping stone. This is not your final destination. This is a way to get started and mass wealth over time. Right, right, absolutely. So another question we get all the time is, you know, look, as I start investing, okay, I'm going to take, you know, $20,000 and put it as a down payment for something or something like that. How much cash should they keep as a buffer? And I think, look, that's, that's a very loaded question because, you know, again, if you're trying to invest, how much cash is good to keep in your account and how much do you really need? What are your thoughts on that's that? That's a good question. Um, if you're buying a rental property and let's say you're living in the building and you have maybe two other units that you're renting out, you need to be prepared that you're going to have some vacancy there and that you're going to have repairs and stuff like that. So um, the amount of cash depends on the, you know, everything's relative. So how big your property is, what your mortgage is. So you want at least at least three to six months a buffer of um, your expenses with considering it vacant or a rainy day fund or something like that. And some people would say more. Um, I've always been able to live a little tighter because I'm always looking towards the next project. So I do overextend and catch up and overextend and catch up. But it's worked for me and it's helped create a foundation and the, the the bigger your foundation becomes, the more you can overextend and catch up again because you'll catch up quicker each time. And that's right. where going back to the idea of a stepping stone. Right. No, I don't, I don't want to live in a multifamily. I don't want to have people next to me. But that's a stepping stone. Right. And we're going to talk about sacrifice in a moment because I think that's, again, that's what's going to that, get, get down to. And as a perfect example um, about that that we've talked about for a while that we'll, we'll, we'll get to later. But I think, yeah, I mean, look, in terms of how much buffer you need to keep, if you Google search, and I've done this for my own business before, you Google search, it, you'll get all sorts of different expert, quote unquote, opinions as to how much buffer you need to keep, you know, depending upon the size of your business or how many rental properties you have, how many units you have, those sorts of things. Um, but until you have a good framework of your own specific business, it is a little bit of, or your own specific uh, real estate investments, it is a bit of educated guesswork. Now, you can do some research and you're going to find everything because I've done it myself. You're going to find everything from you need two months of a buffer of all of your expenses to you need two years, which, you know, one's the short end of the, of the spectrum and one's the long term. You've got to figure out what's best for you. And another thing, too, is you need to make sure that you have that cash buffer, but you can also have a credit buffer. So we'll talk about that in a little greater detail um, as well. But let's get into sacrifice. I know you talked about that a couple of times before, mm-hmm. and there's a prime example of sacrifice, yes. the marshmallow test. <laughs> oh, yes. I don't, I don't know if we got into this before. Let's talk about this in a little greater detail again, because I don't think we were clear about it. And that's actually um, called Give, an emotional quota test. I okay. I don't know if you knew that instead of an IQ test, which is intelligent quota. Okay. Um, and they say if you rank higher on an emotional quota test, it's a sign that you'll do better in life. So the idea mm. is, and I, I learned this in a psychology class in college, actually, the first time I saw this, but then it was later showed on Oprah. Um, they put marshmallows in front of toddlers 
um, and they tell the toddler, you can eat this marshmallow now, or I'll come back in five minutes, and if it's still there, you can have two marshmallows. Right. So they have hidden cameras, of course, and they see. So the idea is if you can gratify that satisfaction, you will build more marshmallows or wealth or buildings or whatever it is. Right. Right. And I think that's where sacrifice really comes in. And it's funny, you're talking about a, you know, an, an experiment with toddlers. But look, if you think about the experiments with adults, right. I mean, I, I, I can't tell you how many people I've said, you know, look, why don't you do this? Why don't you try to do that? And I will say less than 10% of the people took my suggestion or my advice. Well, it's the same thing with real estate. They don't, less than they don't 10%. Do right. And again, your example was what in terms of a sacrifice? You know, you can buy, you know, you're always suggesting, and I remember we, we've done this once before, actually hundreds of times before, really, you know, look, your first house, don't look for the, the white picket fence that you're, you know, you're going to fill with kids and dogs and cars and everything else. All that's nice. That's great. But when, in your, when you're in your prime earning uh, ability, when you're in the prime of your career, try to take some of that money and start investing. And it may mean making some sacrifice. So first thing, buy a multi-unit. Now you got your tax write-offs. You have something that is an asset. Um, your money is helping you make money. But what does it mean? It means you may have to mow the lawn. It means or get a lawn person to do it. It may mean you're going to need to take care of the snow. It may mean you're living next to a noisy tenant for a few years. But at the end of the day... That real estate's going to help pay for itself. And long, long term, you're going to own something of value. And I'll be honest, being a landlord's not really that glamorous. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> but I, but I know, watching I know someone else pay off your mortgage is great. So yes. it's, it's definitely worth it. And I, I'm in the process of buying, um, actually, we are commercial properties, and um, I'm advising someone who's buying the parcel next to me I said look the way I'm looking at it I'm gonna have a tenant who's paying the mortgage 100% I don't really care I mean you should care what your cash on cash return is but for me I'm looking long term so I'm putting a down payment I'm purchasing this it's gonna the mortgage is 100% mortgage taxes and insurance are 100% paid for by the tenant 30 years or actually it's commercial so 20 years right it'll be out owned outright and I can give it to the kids so that's how I'm looking at it. I'm just right. constantly buying something that someone else is going to pay for. Right. I mean, why wouldn't you want to do that? Right. So when we talked about it before, I brought up the word having a buffer of credit. So look at it like this. Now you have somebody helping you pay your mortgage. What are you doing when you're paying your mortgage? Your credit score is going up, right? That's right. Yep. Going to continue to go up. Now when you have a high credit score, now you can, you can get business lines of credit you can get additional business credit cards. You can get those sorts of things. When you build that credit, now you've got a buffer there. Well, not only that, you keep talking about business. If you put yourself in a position where you have, you're making the sacrifice and you have other people paying your mortgage down, now maybe you've always wanted to go into business yourself. Now right. you're in a position where you can make that leap. Right. And that's a huge difference. So now right. we're getting into the point where, okay, you got the real estate and you're going into business. Right. Which is, if you remember going to some of those rich dad seminars, that's what they talked about was right. real estate investment and business. Right. And at the end of the day, if you want to become a millionaire, I mean, that's how I've gotten there. So that's how it's worked for me. Right. So 
I don't know if anybody's ever heard of this before, but I get this a lot, and most people don't know what this means. What does it mean to be, quote unquote, cash poor? And I, and oh. I use that as a yin to the yang because it's cash poor, and then usually it means asset rich. Um, yes, let's let's discuss that for the listeners that, a little bit. And, and, and is that a good thing? I'm what always, is it, and is it a good thing? I'm always cash poor. And I sometimes I say to myself, when I sell something to somebody, welcome to being cash poor. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And, they, and the, I've actually had a client come back to me six months later. It's like, now I understand what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And cash poor, I think for anybody who, who doesn't know in terms of in the investing world out there, um, cash poor and, and asset rich usually means, you know, look, you extend what, you know, Shar kept saying before, overextend. So maybe you're using some of your available cash as a down payment to buy something else. Um, now you have one building. You know now you have some money in the bank because your mortgage has been covered because you're living in one of the units and rent, renting the other. Now your salary's going into the bank. Now you have money for a down payment for something else right. because you're saving money. So now once you take all that money out, a lot of times you want to try to, you know, you want to try to buy the best thing you can with the money that you have. Right. So so you put that money out as a down payment and now you don't have the money in the account, but now you have two buildings, not just one. Mm. And, and let's talk about that. And uh, the fixing a, up. Right, absolutely. Right. And renovations. And a lot of times, right. look, when you have turnovers with apartments, you're painting, right. you're doing, you have plumbing problems occasionally here and there. Um, so this brings up another question that I get all the time. Um, what should I be looking to buy in terms of, you know, ratio to my income? And, and if it's something a little bit above what I think I can afford, should I make that leap? Should I take that risk? Well, if you talk to a mortgage consultant, they're going to say they can lend you up to three times your income. So that's okay. just a very general rule of thumb. Okay. Um, so you need to qualify for the loan, first of all. Okay. If you're self-employed, that's going to be harder. You need to be in the business at least two years and show tax returns. And especially after 2008, um, the liar loans no longer exist, okay. which meant um, basically it was a stated income and okay. you didn't have to verify anything. Okay. <laughs> so that's what they call them, liar loans. Okay. That's back when the banks were going wild and doing whatever they wanted. Sure. Um so if you are self-employed, it will take a little bit of time. I actually lucked out when I bought my building at the age of 23 because I got it owner financed and I, I was too naive to know how lucky I was at the time Right, being my first real estate purchase. But that's always another option. If you can find someone who's willing to hold paper, that's one way around it or to get private financing is another way around that. But as far as what you're comfortable paying, that kind of depends on what you're going to be getting in income as well. So even though you might be buying a building for half a million dollars, you know, you may be more comfortable doing that because there may be four additional units besides the one you're going to live in to right. support that. So right. it all kind of, it's a scale and it kind of depends and you, you need that down payment. Again, if you, if it's a five unit building, it's considered commercial. So you're going to need around 25%, 20 to 30% down. Right. Um, so all that will just kind of depend how that plays out. Yeah, and I think the core of the um, of of looking at yourself as a business is you know a lot of the things you've been talking about. How does anything you buy help make you money? And then also in terms of you know I always look at it like if I have forty thousand in the bank and I can spend ten on one building and then have thirty as a buffer, I would much prefer to what we call overextend a little right. bit if I can qualify for the mortgage and if I can make it happen to buy two or buy three or well, buy let's, four. Let's, 
and and again, it is it and and it, and it is a risk. Well, let me tell you how you get there a little faster too. So let's say you get enough money and you you just buy a two family because that's all you can afford. Right. And you're living in this two family and someone's paying your mortgage and maybe they're not paying 100% of the mortgage, but maybe you're paying $500 instead of instead of paying close to 2 grand if you were to buy a house. Right. So and you're you're you've banked some equity over 5 years. Well, guess what? Maybe the market's gone up or maybe you've you had you were clever and found a property that had some potential in some way and then you put some sweat equity and you improve the property as well. Right. So now your equity has gone up. So now what you can do is go to the bank and borrow against that right. property right. to buy your next one. Absolutely. And then maybe you can move out of your basement apartment. Right. And the next one you have, you can live in maybe a, a different unit, or maybe you get you get you start catching the bug, which right. is what happens. Right. And you want to live in the basement of the next one. Right. And you start building from there. Anybody like playing Monopoly out there? <laughs> it's it's so much like Monopoly. It really is. And, and and people laugh at that when you tell them that, but it really is once you get into it. And I and think, you can trade four houses for a hotel. Yes, you can trade right. four houses for a hotel. Those the, the little green things for yes. the big red one. Okay, right. yeah. so you can take you can take a bunch of little two families and buy a nice big building on Main Street. So so right. that's the idea. Like just keep keep going, keep collecting. And I think I said this before. And it but, is a job. It like, is. It's oh okay. my god! It's a lot. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's it's work. It's sacrifice. It's right. everything. And and you, you know again, you know you can't afford to start amassing really bad debt early on or making a lot of but huge mistakes. But, yeah, but it's, you're never but it's gonna easy get, if you toe the line. It really is. You're never gonna. This is this is just like an easy way to collect wealth over time. Right. I mean, I suppose you could become a doctor or a lawyer and get a very high paying job, but. Still, this is this is the way that really anyone can do it if they're willing to sacrifice. Yeah, but listen, I'm really glad you brought that up. Let's talk about that in a little greater detail. And right. this is what I tell people all the time. I tell this to my staff. I tell this to really anybody who will listen. Somebody walking by on the street, I'll tell them this. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It matters how much money you keep. So think about it like this. You're the plumber or the electrician or, or secretary or, or, or nurse or, or whomever, okay? And you're making fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 a year. That person that makes the sacrifice to live in a two-family early on, just enough that they can get a down payment for, and then decides to buy another building after that, and I've seen it happen over and over again, and you can do it on fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000. So that- you really can. That person, when they that money that comes in from rent from the people that are renting the house, that doesn't go into their page one wage earning like a lawyer or a doctor. So a lawyer or a doctor makes two hundred thousand dollars, and then all the taxes are taken out. How much money do they really come home with? Well, that also reminds me of that rich dad game that we were playing, which is a board yes. game. Um, we were playing with my siblings, and I believe we were on the same team together. Yes, we were. And the way the game works is you get assigned. Um, you're either a doctor or a lawyer, or in this case, we were the secretary. And when you're assigned your profession, you're also assigned how much money you make a year. So we got, what, 37000 a Something, year? Meanwhile, yeah. the doctor was at like one eighty. And we smoked but, the doctor. But the other thing that gets assigned <laughs> to all these professions yep. is your... Guess what? You've got two kids in private school, or guess what? You've got this mortgage, and, and the secretary mortgage is this much. So, so all the the doctors and the higher paying uh, salaries, they had all these other things that they had to do. So even though they were making more money, they had right. a whole lot. Their lifestyle that they had created was costing them a lot of money, right. and the secretary 
and it's a game, so you can obviously play your cards right. Expenses were low, right, and was able to uh, right. amass wealth. So, so getting it back again, anyone can do it, right, if they're willing to. And the, and by the way, that's where we get the expression doodads. Yeah. So in the game. <laughs> It was like, you know, Monopoly, you, you pull a card and it says, well, go to jail, go directly to jail, do not collect $200, do not pass, go, whatever. So so in the Rich Dad game, you get a card that says, oh, you just bought doodads right, right. for $1,000. Your wife went on a shopping out of your spree, money. Right. pay $2,000. And the point, the learning experience right. there was doodads were worthless. They were worse than worthless. Yes. <laughs> they were liabilities. They were negative, right. <laughs> So, so in that game, the doctor had the expensive car. They had the big single-family residence house. They, they went private out to school. dinner all the time, private school. They had the suits and everything else. And understand, doctor, let's say for argument's sake. That's all after tax money. Right. That's exactly right. Doctors make $200,000. Then the taxes are taken out, which is a huge hit because they don't have any investments. And then what's left that's how you pay the car and all these. And at the end of the day, the doctor didn't have much. Whereas the secretary kept the expenses low. Didn't have all of the, the cars, the this, the that. And, and, and what this person made, they invested in real estate. So we went out, we bought a small building. Then we bought something else. Then we bought another thing. At the end of the day, we had very limited expenses. We had a really good tax circumstance because of all the write-offs that came along with the real estate investments. And we whooped butt in that game. Yeah, we won. Yeah. Secretary won. Yeah. Secretary won. It was awesome. We Um, should buy that game. Yes, we need that game. We definitely (laughs) need that game. So listen, the last thing I want to talk about is I wanted to talk about cash on cash return. And this is something my eyes are probably going to glaze over a little bit as we talk about Mm -hmm. this. But it's a complex topic. And I think as people are evaluating what to invest in. Um, I think it's you know it's it's a good exercise. It's a it's valuable information to determine what investments are best for them. All right. So well, can you explain what that is? Yeah, and- I think the thro- the term gets thrown around and it sounds fancy, and people might be like, "Ooh," um, but at the bottom line, there's cap rate, which um, kind of tells you how much money you're making off of the money that you spent. So what is, is that, that clear? What does that mean exactly, though? The cash on cash returns means, okay, how much cash am I taking out of my pocket and how much cash am I going to get back each month or year for that cash I'm taking out of my pocket? So they okay. call it the cash on cash return. So in my opinion, and a lot of investors- And that will allow you to best. compare it to stocks or this or yeah, that, right? This is, this is the best because it boils everything down to what am I actually getting here? Okay. Um, so for example, I bought the, my two family on Tyronda for 315000 I think I put 10% down. It was 2004 or so a while ago. Um, so I put almost 35,000 down and what, what was I getting back after the mortgage and taxes and insurance were paid? Right. Um, what was your profit? Right. Essentially. Right. And without, compared to what without put down, getting my calculator out and thinking about what rent I was getting back then. But I can tell you right now I get about 3,200. My mortgage is 2000. Um, I have some other miscellaneous expenses there. So let's say I had 2,500. So I'm about $1,000 a month, 12,000 a year. And if you talk about the initial cash, okay, I put 30,000 down back in 2004. Right. And now I'm getting $12,000 back. That's a pretty damn good rate of return. 12,000 a year. Yeah. Yeah. On the initial 30. Now, granted, I did um, fix up parts of the house that had a fire, so it it didn't eat a whole lot, but there are things that I improved to get more rent and stuff like that. But, but I mean, 
this is what I'm talking about. Yes. It, it's it. The numbers are tighter in the beginning, but they loosen up as you go. Right. And that's the important thing. And I think, listen, this conversation is a really important exercise because especially for those people, like I said, I wanted to get more into the nuts and bolts of it. You know, okay, you have the money, you have your debt down. Now, logistically, how do we make it work and what's the right choice for me? You've got $35,000 in your bank account, okay? How much money, how much interest are you gaining and on that money being in the bank account? And Or... If you put that money into stocks or wherever else, how much money are you getting back per year? So cash on well, cash return, there you go. And that's not even considering the fact that the right. mortgage is being paid off that's by someone else. That's the next else. conversation, right. So, 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 you know, let's say I have 15 years left on that mortgage and I haven't refined because I, I was able to finance in a time where the rates were low. So now I'm just going to ride that out. So I'm probably not going to refinance again unless I do what I was talking about before and I want to pull equity for something else, which is something there are opportunities that come up and I'm like, I have to, I have to have this. So, so look at it like (laughs) this. So I can tie into that. And again, that goes back to the the foundation. If you have all these things you can tap into, you might not need that right now, but you've got that foundation you can pull from if you need to, or if something Bad goes on on some other level. So you're trying to weigh with that $35,000. Remember, when it's in the bank, there you go. That's what it is, okay? Right. And you're getting whatever interest you're getting. If it's in stocks, okay, whatever you're, whatever you're gaining in terms of interest, those sorts of things. Real estate, remember, look at, look at it this way. You're building your credit because you're paying your mortgage. The risk is whatever it is on either one of those options. But you're building credit because of your mortgage. You have more tax write-offs because you own the piece of investment property. Yep, you get depreciation tax um, write-off. Right. Then you're getting your return, okay? Your cash-on-cash cash return per year, per month, whatever it is. And then, at the end of all of this, you're going to own something of presumably substantial value. So, you know, let's, let's even come back a little bit right. to the sacrifice. Oh, I've got a tenant living next to me. Yeah. And guess what? 30 years from now, you're going to own a piece of property. And by the way, in the meanwhile, the money you're making from your job, you get to keep more of it because of your tax circumstances better. And you're improving your credit. And I didn't even... And you're putting yourself in a position like Char just said. Now, if you have a track record of paying your mortgage regularly and you improve it or the market changes and now your equity goes up... And, and by the way, I'm sure everybody knows what equity is, but equity is basically the value of the piece of property less the amount of money you own the mortgage. That's your equity. I have a $300,000 house. Mortgage payoff on the mortgage is two hundred and fifty. dollars My equity is $50,000. But you're doing all of these things at the same time, and it's not that hard. Right. So not only the money part of it, but the idea that it's probably doubled in value. I mean, that, that probably is right. worth... 750 now. Right. So it's on a half an acre of property next to a booming main street in a great right. town. So not only are you, work, you looking at your monthly mon- money in, money out, but you're investing in something with potential. Right. An area that's going to go up. And being that I do real estate here, I always believed in Beacon and where it was going. Absolutely. So any any further uh, explanation for our listeners out, out there about cap rate? Um, I mean, we didn't really talk about cap rate so much, but it... Cap rate is just a kind of a formula to see what the value is based on what the income it is. Okay. So and cash. So on, you can compare one investment yeah, versus another. Right. Okay. Right. Um, and the cash on cash return is how much money you're gonna take out of your wallet. 
basically, and how much money is going to come back into your wallet right. every month or year. Right. And it's funny because I've, I've come in contact with a lot of people with the, with big money, big investors, um, developers, et cetera. And, and I've known a number of them who would buy one piece of property, gain some equity, take some of the equity out, buy another piece of property. And like I said, you look at their bank accounts, they'd have a lot less money in their bank accounts than you'd think, but they owned like an entire street. They owned like 10 pieces of property in a town. And I will tell you right now, those people seems like they don't have a lot of cash in their accounts, but you, you come and talk to me about 10, 15, 20 years from now, see what's going to happen. Um, because they're going to be sitting on 10 pieces of property that are worth X amount of million dollars. And that, and I think that principle, all of the things we've been discussing, that's how you become a self-made millionaire. And I think um, it's easier than you think. So please, starting point, folks, you know, we talked about it before. Go through your net worth statement. Know what your expenses are. Make sure you get your, um, your doodad spending in order. Keep that under control. Be willing to make the sacrifices that are necessary to amass real wealth and um, and start talking, you know. Go to your 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 real estate agent, real estate broker, and start looking at what's out there. You know, it's gonna start the wheels turning for you. Believe me, you'll get excited about it. You'll get the bug, as Shar said. You know, talk to your accountant. You know, see how the different tax circumstance would benefit your page one wage earnings. So um, again, I thank everybody for tuning in. Um, I was thrilled to have Charlotte back again. Obviously, she has a lot of expertise. Thank you. And um, you know, Charlotte, if anybody wants to reach out to you in terms of the real estate investing, Gatehouse Realty, what's your website? Dot com. Gatehouserealty.com. That's it. Okay. And, and I think, you, go ahead. And if you need a wedding dress. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the wedding dress shop boutique. and the wedding dress or venue as well. if you need to get divorced. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah. It's yeah. full circle service. And, and at, yeah. And as people know, I'm a divorce lawyer. And it's so funny because the way this, the way these two worlds um, you know, cross paths. It's pretty interesting. I always tell people, look, divorce really magnifies all of the most important things in your life. It puts your finances, your investments, your financial health, well-being under a microscope. So again, I thank everybody for tuning in and we'll look forward to uh, talking to you again. All right. Thank you. Take care.